0: Good morning. Buenos días. If you are uh if you are new, we're not bilingual yet, yet, right? Um and I'm not Pastor Tommy, so but welcome. <laughs> My name's Ernie and um I have the privilege, the honor to serve as one of the elders amongst many uh group of people here at Mercy Hill Church. My family and I have been blessed to attend here at Mercy Hill um, for quite some time, and we just are so grateful to be a part of this community. Uh, So I'm kind of like the guy, you know, in the Brewers' bullpen who you probably don't want to call until you absolutely necessarily need to, and this Sunday was one of those, so here I am. Sorry. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, Pastor Tommy's actually out in Lake Country uh, teaching today, so we ask for your prayers for him out there. Um, and as Pastor Kevin is visiting some family and taking some time with the family, so, um, ask for your guys' prayers for Pastor Kevin and his family as well. We've been working our way through a series, Not Normal. Uh, it's emphasizing this idea of uncommon life and in an uncommon community. And the basis has been the last couple of chapters of Galatians. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we'll be reading in on the passage and focus on uh, Galatians chapter 6. This will also be on our screens here this morning. Our intention really is to highlight how uncommon, how not normal, a relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit, can truly be. In a time or an era where we try to maybe draw these similarities, uh, in a time or in an era where we try to normalize or make Christianity relatable. It's just fair to say that there isn't anything normal about this. Which brings us to Galatians. Now this letter is key throughout the New Testament. It is, in fact, much later in our church's history. It's been made known how critical this letter was to Martin Luther in the movement that he created with the people surrounding him. During this time, it provided such a great, and to this very day, the letter from Paul to the Galatians provides such a foundational understanding of the gospel. So because we've only focused on chapters 5 and today chapter 6 a little bit, and we'll close the series out today, I wanted to highlight a couple of key things from this letter. In the previous chapters that we hadn't touched on, just to give us a little bit of a framework and a foundation this morning. Paul emphasizes in his letter that the source of the gospel is Jesus. This is in a time where there could be lots of other things that get in the way of what truly could be considered the source of the gospel. In a time where the uh, source of the gospel is oftentimes what we visibly or tangibly can see in front of us. That is our works. And here Paul emphasizes and clarifies in Galatians chapter 1 verses 11 and 12 by saying the following. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember how Paul comes to Christ. He was a persecutor. He was a persecutor of followers of Christ. He knows how real and how the source of the gospel, from everything that he has seen to this particular encounter with Jesus, that the source of the gospel is Christ. The second thing I want to highlight as a framework for this letter is he goes on to defend the gospel. There's lots of questions. There's lots of doubts. There is already an established way in which we arrive or establish a relationship with God, and that is in this time through what we do or what we don't do. And what Paul comes to challenge here to the, in, in, to this, in this letter is it is not by what we do or don't do. It is, what, it is by what Christ has already done. Galatians three thirteen and 14 say, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So the idea is that Christ is the source. It's not what we do or don't do that we are saved. And when this happens, there is this idea that we may receive what? According to this verse, the promised spirit. So Paul frames up and says, listen, the source of the gospel of Jesus and the reason that we are saved isn't by what we do or what we haven't done, but rather what Christ has already done so that we may receive the promised spirit. And it brings us to where we're at and where we have been the last few weeks throughout this series. And it's this idea of being able to walk by the spirit, the application in our lives as we ponder, as we surrender, as we live the gospel, is how does this apply to us? Galatians 5.25, we covered a a couple of weeks ago. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Here's where we began and we started to unpack what this is meant to mean, how we live an uncommon life. An uncommon community, which brings us to our passage today. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, I'll read the passage and then we'll highlight a few of the uh, scriptures here. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so to fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and and then his reason to boast will be in in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the spirit flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. If we do not give up, and if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. There's a lot to unpack here, and just due to time, we won't be able to um, unpack some of the things that Paul is giving instruction to the Galatians as it relates to how we live in an uncommon community and some of the instructions that he gives. But what I want to do is I want to highlight and tie this back to what we've been working through as it relates to living in an uncommon community. I'm sorry, an uncommon life. Our passage today walks us through how this is possible to do in community. So we'll revisit a few things that uh, Pastor Tommy covered in previous weeks, as I feel they relate specifically to us as individuals um, in terms of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Without it, I think it's really difficult to enter in community that is spirit-led. So I think it'll be very good for us to just revisit a couple of these things. The second thing, and this is where I'm going to start this morning and really kind of focus and unpack a little bit and have us reflect, is I want us to, although it may seem basic, I want us to focus a bit on one of the attributes of God. Again, this may seem sound it may sound basic, it may seem simple in concept, but I want to draw our emphasis to this attribute because without it I feel it is really difficult for us to live an uncommon spirit-led life and, therefore, an uncommon spirit-led community. I'll say that again. Without reflecting on this particular attribute for a moment this morning, I think it's going to be very difficult for us to understand how we can live an uncommon life, therefore be in an uncommon spirit-led Community so about a month ago we're uh we're sitting around the dinner table, and my three year old just blurts out, Who is God and I'm like, Ah, oh, come on kid, like <laughs> there's just this gulp, and I'm like, you know had a long day, and don't necessarily want to get into like you know answering this question for my three year old right but Without missing a beat, he just moves on to the next thing, right? I mean, this is natural for a three-year-old. One thing they'll drop a bomb of a question that is super philosophical and super, like, you know, big and whatnot, and the next thing they're just complaining about the, not eating the veggies on the plate, right? I mean, this is, this is how their brain just operates. <laughs> um, and I'll tell you what happened that night. I, uh, honestly, I didn't answer the question. <laughs> I was just like, I had nothing. I'm like, I got nothing for you, kid. I I don't know what to say. I am just like, I'm just like dumbfounded. I'm just trying to eat my dinner, and I'm like, okay, how am I going to come back to this? Is he really thinking about, is he really not know? Is he like, I'm just like, my head is spinning in like a million different directions, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like what, What? how can I explain this? Now, here's the thing with my three-year-old, right? When it comes to explaining things, there's a couple of things that I have to meet in terms of criteria, One is use words that he can understand, right? Two is I probably have to use less than five words to explain it. And in the end, this is like really difficult to do. How many are with me, right? Some of you parents like I cannot explain that question to you right now. Or some of you are probably the opposite. I started doing this, especially as my kids get a little older and it's a lot of fun. And, you know, you get to know your kids this way when they ask you a question. And then you know it's a very simple answer, but you go on to give like a five minute, you know, exposition on the creation of the world and and really what you were just saying is why socks are made, right? That's at the end of the day what you're But this is something that really, really, really stuck with me. And I was pondering this and it was right around the Easter season and it was it was just something that just the Holy Spirit started to to talk to me and, and to started to reveal to me like whoa, like like not necessarily questioning, not questioning who God is, but how do I explain this to someone in less than five words and in words that they understand? And in the end, it wasn't anything that I think, honestly, it's like nearly impossible. What I did learn through this experience and what I came to find and what I continue to find, that it is probably less, much, much less important, the words that I use to explain who God is to my my three-year-old. And what's most important is the life I lead and how that exemplifies who God is. And that that is tough. I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go back to answering the question because that seems easier to do, right, to tackle. So what does that have to do with this? Actually, nothing. I'll just give that to you guys, free parenting advice, free of charge today. Kidding aside, I share this story because as I was going and thinking through this, I started going through this kind of Rolodex in my head of well, maybe I can explain who God is by saying God is X, God is Y, God is Z. And maybe that'll help my three year old understand the nature of God. And as I was going through this kind of Rolodex of attributes, you know, God is faithful, God is just, God is kind, God. All these things started going through my head. But you want to know the one that stuck with me the most? The one that I kept coming back to time and time and time again? I mean, I was days days in, like six, seven, eight, over almost two weeks of just thinking through this. Like every day for a moment, I would just be thinking about this and thinking about this. And that attribute was God is love. God is love. And I want to start here because it is truly that God is love that we're here. From creation, God demonstrates love in creating a perfect world for Adam and Eve. After the fall and sin separating us from God, he still places enmity in Genesis 3.15 between mankind and its greatest enemy, the serpent. Fast forward a little bit hundred or so years later, Seth is born. And he was key and instrumental in God demonstrating his love, using Seth to truly bring the people back to him. God is love in saving Noah and his family, who are actually descendants of Seth. A little later, Genesis 12, God calls Abram, at the time Abram, out of idolatry into friendship. And a covenant, and we have the nation of Israel. We see the nature of God being love. A little later, in spite of Israel being unfaithful by way of idolatry, don't we? Hosea one seven says, "But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the by their Lord, by the Lord their God." We also see the nature of God being love, and with Hosea himself. In the story in him marrying the prostitute. Hosea 3.1 says, And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. He goes on to examine his life, examine his heart, and give him a bit of the nature of God being love. This is the narrative that we see throughout all scripture. God is love. You fast forward, and what happens? What happens? John 3.16. For God so loved the world, He so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. We see love throughout the entire narrative of Scripture. John 1 John 4:16 says, So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. It's interesting to see that this verse says the following, so we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, to know and to believe. If we pay attention to the order of those two phrases, to know and to believe, you would think that it would be the other way around. First, maybe I'll believe so I can get into a relationship where I'm knowing. But what he says is, to know and to believe Because I think it is knowledge of God's love is one thing. But when we truly encounter God being love and his love for us, and you think about that and ponder upon that, it's not normal. It can be unbelievable. For many it is unbelievable. And so therefore he closes the thought, By saying knowing and believing and both have to be done continuously together. And he goes on to say, whoever abides in love, abides in God and God abides in him. There are many scriptures that talk about this attribute and talk about God's love and God being love. The one I'll close with here and before moving on. It's found in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. i read that one again. I mean, this one should just wake us up. should just jolt us and be like, think about this one. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This verse is powerful. Martin Luther has often referred to this as the great exchange. This is the culmination of God's love. The atonement of our sins, of our transgressions, begins and ends when Jesus comes in. During our last community group, I went through an exercise with the with, with the group and it was right I think it was right after Easter actually. And I know during Easter we get you know lots of activities happening and, and things that we need to be at and things you know that we need to do and it's sometimes really just difficult to take time to be able to reflect On just Christ and the sacrifice. And one thing we did is the week after Easter, we just revisited the cross. So we went through numerous scriptures revisiting the cross and what God, what Jesus did when he died on the cross and what it meant when he rose. And we went through just this simple exercise reflecting on this particular verse. So I'm going to ask that you guys just help and humor me here for a minute and participate in the same one. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a minute, just for a minute. Just close your eyes. And without dwelling too much, I want you to think of a sin, a transgression, a wrongdoing that you yourself would find having a very difficult time forgiving. Now continue with your eyes closed. Think about that for a minute. With your eyes closed, now think about this. For our sake he made him to be sin. Jesus became that. Now open your eyes. That's powerful. When there is repentance, when there is transformation, when there is a surrender of that sin, Jesus does something amazing. And it starts because God is love. It is because God is love that this is even possible. And not is just not normal. It isn't. It is uncommon. It is beyond normal. It is profound. It changes the course of our eternity. Praise God. The second thing I'd like for us to do is revisit the idea of walking by the Spirit. We talked a, bit, a little bit about this a couple weeks ago and feel that when we truly reflect on God being love, this very divine, this very complex, this very active thing, we can't help but really truly surrender, turn to the Spirit and allow for the Holy Spirit to lead our walk. So we got to remember a couple of things. The first thing to remember is that there is no room for cohabitation between the spirit and the flesh when the spirit is present. Okay, remember that? There, I think Pastor Tommy used the example of water, right, and oxygen. And when water replaces it, the, the, the air in, in, in the can, in the bottle, uh, in the glass completely disappears. There's no room for cohabitation. Although some science geeks would say, well, actually, there's some oxygen. No, anyway, um, <laughs> fine, send an email. There is no room for cohabitation between the spirit and the flesh when the spirit is present. Galatians 5:16 but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Two, the role of the Holy Spirit is that of the helper and the dweller. If we go to if we read John 14:16 and 17 it reads as follows And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth, whom the Word cannot receive, the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him or knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells in you, and will be in you. This is important because too often we go try fixing ourselves. This is important because we too often go try fixing someone else. This is important because we try to do something without realizing that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And because He dwells in us, He is the helper. And it is the Holy Spirit at work. Remember, we're taught throughout Galatians that the source of the gospel is who? Christ. It's not what we've done or what we don't do, but rather what already has been done by him. And it's all because God is love. And are therefore called here to walk by the spirit. Remember Galatians 5.16. It doesn't say, do not gratify the desires of the flesh and then walk by the spirit. Right? This is very important to highlight. It says what first? Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and the result is you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we're not at this place as individuals, leading an uncommon Spirit-led life, I tell you, it's going to be nearly impossible to live an uncommon Spirit-led community important for us to continuously reflect on this passage and what we've been discussing throughout chapters 5 um, in, the past, in the previous weeks, which brings us to our passage today. Our passage today covers several things, and I might jump around a little bit here, so just bear with me. First thing I want to highlight is it covers several warnings for us. There are three types of warnings that I just want to highlight in our passage this morning. And the first is temptation. The first warning we see is actually in verse one. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I'm going to put that thought just aside for a minute. I'll come back to that in a little later. But what I want to emphasize here is this warning that comes up in the next phrase. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. This particular verse, the whole letter is to whom? Church, Galatians, it's to Galatians who are thinking and processing through this. And one thing he is emphasizing is saying this. Keep watch of yourself lest you be tempted. We're not superhuman. We're human. And it's important to remember that when helping someone does not make us immune to sin. There are two kind of different ways of thinking about this. When we are in community and when we are helping someone, it's easy for us to maybe perhaps fall into the same sin in which we help our brother or sister out of. Perhaps it's gossip, right? How many of you maybe have been in a situation and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, that doesn't feel right. And then by the end of it, you're both going at it like, yeah, that was." you hear what she said. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. How did I get here? You know? It's easy for us to be led into temptation and fall to that sin. The second thing is that we have to guard and be careful with our heart because there can be sin of pride. It's like, oh. There he goes again, doing it again. Man, I'm just glad I'm not dealing with him right now. I'm glad that's not my mess. Be careful. Be careful. The second warning is that, pride. Verse 3 warns against pride. It says, for if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This is important. We are to walk by the Spirit so that we live in uncommon Spirit-led community. But not like others tend to do. Not like others tend to do who simply meet physical needs. Who simply, you know, meet these needs temporarily and maybe boast about it in their numbers. Provide some self-help breakthrough idea and boast about it and how their methods are best. Be very careful. Be very careful. And this is the quandary, this is the conundrum we often find ourselves honestly in when the power of the Holy Spirit is at work. The warning here of pride is to be very careful, very careful that we do not think the the work of the Holy Spirit Is our work. Because it isn't. It is the Holy Spirit. And only the Holy Spirit. Romans 7.18 For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. In my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. But not the ability to carry it out. This is where we get to Galatians and talk about walking by the Spirit and therefore the desires of the flesh are gone. 2 Corinthians 3.5 Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. When we talk about pride, we have to know that it is God sufficiency that is enough. Galatians 6 4, 5 continues to read, but let each one test his own work. Then his reason to boast will be himself alone and not in his neighbor for each one will have to bear his own load. Verse 4 continues to talk about us checking our pride. Why do we do it? Do we do this to find fulfillment by way of what we do? Or by way of what the Holy Spirit does. And verse 5 continues to say, this is our load. This is our responsibility. To be in continuous check, check of our hearts in this area. The last warning that I want to just highlight is, briefly, is Galatians six eight. Jumping down a little bit. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit... Well, from the Spirit, reap eternal life. Again, just going back to what I mentioned, who do we obey? Who do we find fulfillment or the fullness in? Is it because of what we do in the flesh or because of what the Holy Spirit is doing? Period. When we receive something, is it from the kingdom? Is it from Christ, from the source of the gospel? Or do we take it to our own advantage? We have to think about this. We have to think about this. There are days when you can wake up and know there's just a strong need for the Holy Spirit to guide you and walk you through that day. What this passage is saying is all things need to be from the Holy Spirit. We need to continue to seek that Helper who dwells in us, not occasionally, but continuously, who is in us and warn us of the intention in which we do things, for which we do things. Lastly, Living in uncommon communities really about what we're called to do and how. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you are spiritual, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. When looking at this passage, we must understand the instruction isn't, again, to those who have sinned, but rather to those, uh, or those who have committed the wrongdoing, but it is addressed to those who haven't sinned, to those who may have a level of maturity, In their faith. And that's important to note. And what's the instruction here to the believer? Is it to scold? Is it to condemn? Is it to aggravate? Is it to shun? It is to what? Restore. In a spirit of gentleness. When someone falls short. When there is transgression, when there is wrongdoing, how do we respond? How does the church respond? Think about this. If we are truly the body of Christ, globally, all around the world, when we hear of someone falling, is our immediate response, "Glad that's not my church. That's why I left that church. Careful. Be very careful. When we live in uncommon spirit-led community, we are called to what? Restore. The spirit of gentleness. This is not normal. There are consequences, absolutely. Perhaps that's part of restoration. But the key is to remember it being done in a spirit of gentleness. And when we talk about spirit, we hear it in the scripture. We talk about the attitude that we have. What is the attitude that we come to the table with? And this is only present when we walk by the spirit. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens. A few things here. Although this reads as a command, I honestly feel this becomes very natural as a response when we walk in the Spirit. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 2 finishes the thought by saying, And so fulfill the law of Christ. So the first thing we see here is that it sounds like a command, but when we walk by the Spirit, it should feel like a natural thing. It's something that we live out when we are, having and and relying on the Helper, the Holy Spirit, when we are living and relying with the Dweller inside um, of our minds, transforming our hearts, transforming our lives, the Holy Spirit. And then what happens is we fulfill the law of Christ. Now to clarify here, the law of Christ, because we've been talking about how um, this isn't about what we do or don't do. And here it makes, makes a reference to the law. And so to clarify something, I'm just going to read a quick quote from, you know, one of a great teacher. And he says the following about this particular uh, phrase. Every command in the law of Christ is a call to faith. Through faith, God supplies the spirit of Christ. Through the spirit, we produce the fruit of love. Remember, we talked about that last week. Through love, we fulfill the law of Christ. Therefore, if you trust him, you will fulfill his law of love. You will devote yourself to lifting the burdens of others. Comes back to love. God's love. God being love. God is love. Another point of clarification is to interpret burdens. Generally, sure, it could be physical. It could be some way of, of physical or resource or some need that, um, or burden that we can alleviate, that we can be there for. But many do these types of things. This is normal for other organizations. This is normal for other religions. Specifically, it's more about helping. One, realize their sin, but more importantly, helping bring restoration in a spirit of gentleness. That's the calling that we have. That's the calling that we have. When we understand God's love and continuously reflect on His love, we live, walk by the Spirit and are in an uncommon uncommon life to be able to lead and live an uncommon community that is Spirit-led. Let us continuously reflect on God being love. We demonstrate, His demonstration of love towards us has always been there since the beginning, continues to be there throughout Scripture, continues to be present in our lives today and will forever be there going forward. In this, that brings us to walk by the Spirit. In this, that produces the fruits that are obtained by what? The flesh? No. By the Spirit who dwells in us so that He is glorified to those outside of the faith who may be able to see him plainly. And two. That we may be. An uncommon community. Led by the spirit. Restoring each other. Bearing each other's burdens. With a spirit of gentleness. Galatians 6.10. So then. As we have the opportunity. Let us do good to everyone. And especially. To those who are of the household of faith. What I challenge you this morning to do is to be continuously reflecting on our response when a fellow brother or a fellow sister falls to transgression, to wrongdoing. What I ask you is to, when you see something, you have To turn to the Holy Spirit. You have to turn to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, is this something you're pointing me towards? Holy Spirit, is this something that you're guiding me towards? If so, how do I do this? And it may not be you. It may be with help of someone else. But the nature, the through line of how we approach it. Is through the Holy Spirit, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit, not the work of any one person or people. And that's us living in an uncommon community. Let's pray.